I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously and 6-1 since that matters. And what do I even say other than hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better and dating safer. They've changed. So you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the One Woman Book Club podcast. I'm your host, Grace, and this is the podcast where we talk about all things book-related, author-related, any current reads or any current news in the book world, and of course, discuss a quarter of our monthly book club pick, which this month is Meet Me at the Lake by Carly Fortune. But I have taken the liberty to change things up a little bit on this episode because I just have way too much to say about the last half of Meet Me at the Lake by Carly Fortune. And I did talk about this briefly on my stories on my Instagram at Grace's Reading Nook. But I am just going to be discussing the final chunk of Meet Me at the Lake by Carly Fortune. We have a book club guide to go through for Meet Me at the Lake that Carly Fortune has put out herself that I am actually going into blind. I haven't had a chance to look at that yet. So we're going to be reading through that together, discussing everything together. It's just me today for a lot of reasons, but mostly because I've had a few technical difficulties. I've had a lot of stuff going on to try to get this podcast up and ready for you guys. But It's going up today. I am so excited to be talking about Meet Me at the Lake with you. There are a lot of opinions on this book all throughout the book world. I was so excited to have this book as our May book club selection. And personally, because every summer after her first book for me was a home run, I had just kind of assumed that this would be a home run because I loved every summer after so, so much. And I know that that book got a lot of heat because it is so similar to Love in Other Words by Christina Lauren. But for me, that didn't really affect my reading journey. I had read Love in Other Words, but I loved Every Summer After as its own piece of work. But now reading Meet Me at the Lake, I'm like, kind of, I don't know, I will pick up the next Carly Fortune book, but with a lot more hesitancy than I picked up Meet Me at the Lake, because I am not really sure I enjoyed it. And I'll dig into that a little bit more when we get into that discussion. But um, I do have a few things to discuss before we get into the main discussion with me, Meet Me at the Lake today. I want to talk about my current reads. I want to talk about what's been going on in my life a little bit. And then we can get into the meat and potatoes of our discussion today. So elephant in the room, I don't know if you guys will be able to tell, but my voice is pretty much gone and I don't feel too well today. Um, And that's for, I think, a lot of reasons. 
but I'll go through those and why I think that is. So last week, the last episode I uploaded was last Monday. When that uploaded, I was in Orlando, Florida for a work conference. It was awesome. We had a blast. I don't want to go too, too much into it because I don't think you guys really care too much about my nine to five life. But I mentioned this a few times. Part of my job is putting on events for accounts payable professionals. And we were lucky enough this year to get to go to Disney World, which I guess the event has been there for many years now in the spring. But this is my first spring conference working the event. Super exciting. Um, We got to go to Disney on Monday night. So I arrived on Sunday and I left on Wednesday afternoon. So we did we it's a long, long day. So it's a lot of travel. Obviously, I'm from Maine. So not too, too bad, but it is travel days. And then also, um, we have to get to the staff office at like six o'clock in the morning and we don't get back to our hotel room at night after like doing any festivities we want to do, like, you know, going out to dinner or whatever. We don't get back until like 1030 because we don't stop working until like 730. So it is a long, long day. So I have truly not caught up on sleep from that work week. Fun things, of course, did happen. Monday night, we got to go to Epcot because we stayed at Disney's Yacht and Beach Club Resort. And Epcot's like a five minute walk from the resort. So it was awesome being able to go to Epcot. I have not been to Disney since I was eight years old. So we got to go on Soarin', and which I'd never been on when I was little because it hadn't been made yet. Um, got to go on Test Track and we got to go on Remy's Ratatouille Adventure, which was super cute. Um, see the fireworks show. So that was a really fun moment with my coworkers. It was really cool to connect with them and get to go to Disney World. I mean, like, how cool is that? It was a free park pass from my work. So you can't, you can't, um, can't beat that, honestly. And then on Tuesday night, we did host a party for our attendees, um, which was really, really fun. So all great things, but got back on Wednesday night at like midnight. So pretty much Thursday. And then I was off the rest of the week for travel days, which was nice. Um, But Saturday was my Taylor Swift concert, which I think is where a lot of this is coming the lack of the voice, the cold, because if you know, if you're a Taylor Swift fan and you've been on TikTok at all, you will know that Saturday night at Gillette Stadium in Foxborough was an absolute monsoon. (laughs) I was really disappointed that it was going to rain. And I was like, I know that Taylor Swift, this is my first time I've talked about this a little bit, like seeing a big stadium tour of Taylor Swift. She did come to my hometown in Kennebunk, Maine and put on a performance there because she filmed her music video in my hometown, which is incredible. Like, I don't think many people will ever be able to say they had a personal intimate show of Taylor Swift performing. She performed like four songs, um, but amazing. But I've never seen a big stadium tour from her. So I was super excited. And I had heard that her rain shows are really iconic. So even though that iconic nature was going to be present. I was like, it's going to suck. Like we've spent so much time like preparing for this concert and getting our outfits and just like really getting ready. But I will say everyone was right. The rain show is truly iconic and unlike anything else. The people at this show, like all the girls and the guys who went the energy is immaculate. Like everyone was just so happy to be there, did not encounter a rude person once. We were all so helpful, like trading friendship bracelets and meeting each other in line. And it was just so, so cool to be around like a group of people like that. And just we're all just so excited and so thrilled to be there, honestly, that yes, did it rain the whole concert? It did. What you're seeing on TikTok is torrential downpours the whole entire night. And it wasn't torrential the whole night. I would say until 1989, like mm, folklore. (laughs) After all too well, 10 minute version. I'm sorry if you don't want to get things like too spoiled if you're going to a concert, but I would say after the all too well 10 minute version, it started really pouring, especially during the 1989 set list and especially during the surprise songs, um, torrential downpour. And then, of course, Midnight's was like a monsoon. But it was really, really fun. My friends and I were really lucky. We didn't have too much trouble like getting in or out of the venue, which I know a lot of people did. And we had a hotel room very, very close by. So we were asleep by like 1.30, 2 o'clock, which is nice. Um, And then we came home on Sunday. And truly, I don't know if it's because I'm 28. I'm almost 30. Like my body has not recovered from all of this travel. I have a ton of like just I think I have like either allergies or a little cold or something because I do not feel my best. I took some allergy pills before I started this episode because I'm like, okay, I've got to get through this. I've got to get through this episode. Um, But I'm really excited nonetheless to be recording and to be back into a routine 
um, getting groceries and just like cooking for myself and just really want the routine to be back in this week. So I feel like I came back from Punta Cana, had a very minimal amount of time to be at home, and then went straight into Orlando. So really happy to be back. So as far as current reads go, I am making my way through a very popular bookstagram book right now. Um, But I did, as I talked about, finish Meet Me at the Lake on the plane from Orlando. So that was half the book. And then I had brought with me Adelaide and The Fourth Wing, which is the book I'm getting through. Did not pick up Adelaide yet, but it will be my next read, I believe, after The Fourth Wing. Um, But I have not finished a book since I last posted because of Orlando and the Taylor Swift concert and all of that. And I did talk about The Last Word by Taylor Adams um, in my last episode, I believe, unless I'm going crazy. Um, But pretty sure I talked about that. So we're all caught up on, um, did I talk about the last word? I literally cannot remember. I'm so sorry if I didn't, but I'm not going to because I'm almost positive I did because I finished it before I would have left for Orlando. Right? Yeah, I'm so sorry. I Anyway, don't recommend The Last Word by Taylor Adams. Um, But I am reading The Fourth Wing by Rebecca Yaros. And it is so outside of my comfort zone. As many of you know, I'm not like a fantasy reader. This is the first fantasy book I've read as an adult and really ever in my life, unless you count like The Hunger Games as fantasy, because I loved those when I was a teenager, but have not read a fantasy as an adult or really ever like this is pure like true fantasy I feel like um and I'm really really enjoying it this book has been a book that has taken Instagram by storm in a way that I have never seen another book do on the app um when I went to Orlando I said okay if it's at the airport in Boston as I'm walking through I'm going to buy it if it's not I won't and it was which is crazy cuz I feel like I don't I don't know. Like, I know it's a new release and I know it's very popular, but I did not expect to see it. But I did hack over the 30 bucks to buy it. I have never, ever seen a book. I mean, even Happy Place by Emily Henry, The Fourth Wing is everywhere. Like, I've not seen a bookstagrammer not post about it. Like, I'm the only one. So I really want to get through it. Um, I'm really enjoying it. I'm about, I'm a little over halfway through. Um, it's just outside of my comfort zone. So it's taken me a little while to like get really into the language and the lore of it all. Um, but I'm really enjoying it. So it might mean that I might have to pick up like the Akatar series coming up here. Um, very, very likely that I will. But that's what I'm into right now. And honestly, because I'm feeling kind of kind of sick, not really feeling my best. I don't want to keep this intro too long because I know we have a lot to discuss with Meet Me at the Lake. So I'm so sorry if you are not following up on the book club and you just listened for my rambles at the beginning, but I feel like the vast majority of you do listen to get into the book club discussion. So we're going to get into it. If you have not finished Meet Me at the Lake by Carly Fortune, spoilers are up ahead. I am pretty sure that the vast majority of you have finished it. And I'm sorry if I didn't make it blatantly clear that I was going to be discussing the final um, half of it right now. As always, I am going to go through my notes first on the book. Um, And so I did separate that up into quarters. So if you can listen up to a certain point, basically. I'm so sorry if I'm not making very much sense, but we're going to start with my notes. We're going to get into the book club guide discussion that Carly Fortune wrote herself, and we're just going to we're just going to start talking here. All right, so we're starting with chapter 13. So Fern starts the chapter by explaining that every summer at Brookbanks, there is an end of summer dance or talent show. And this totally reminded me of Dirty Dancing. And I absolutely love this idea and cannot wait to see what comes of it. Fern is hesitant to have it, though, because of her mom's passing, but Jamie is adamant that they have to have it so that people can celebrate something after so much mourning and losing Fern's mom. And then more sort of like invisible time has passed, about a week, and Fern and Will have been working more together. He asked to stay for a couple more weeks, and then he asks Fern to come over for dinner, and he confirms everything that I was thinking last week. He lives with his sister and his nine-year-old niece. They've been living together since his sister was pregnant, and he quit his art and took this good job to help support his family, which had apparently been hard for women to understand that he has this family in the form of his sister and his niece. 
Then at the end of the chapter, Philippe texts her a picture of her favorite coffee shop in Toronto with a for sale sign on the door. So potentially she could buy it if she wanted to and open ferns, which is her dream. Will then calls her out and says he knows that she wants to take on Brookbanks, and I agree. I'm starting to think that her buying the place in Toronto would almost be the easy way out and that she actually wants to run the resort herself. But I feel like she doesn't. But I feel like she doesn't think she can fill her mom's shoes and almost feels inferior to run the resort. My bet right now is that she does run it with Will and Jamie and opens a coffee shop on the property or at least provides good coffee makers in all the cabins. I am calling it now. Then my notes for chapter 14, I said, we finally get a resolution to how Will reacted to learning Fern has a boyfriend and it's odd. It's almost like it made her even more desirable to him, almost because they're both in the same position because he has Fred. They both take Jaeger shots and decide to dance. It's a quick, sweaty, steamy dance, but again, very quick. Fern knows that if they were both single, they would have kissed. Then Fern feels overwhelmed and needs to get outside. Will gets her some water and she takes in the rainstorm outside, much like me and Gillette last weekend. (laughs) Then she invites him back to her place. I would lie and say I'm not excited, but I am. They do have a ton of chemistry and with the alcohol flowing, it's only getting more and more so. Then we get a diary entry from Fern's mom and she explains that her and Eric went on a double date with Liz and Peter and Peter quizzed Eric on this dating history on his dating history and Fern's mom got mad and they haven't talked in two days. So clearly there's some tension going on between Peter and Fern's mom and I'm dying to see where it goes. All right, guys, chapter 15. Definitely don't want to get into too much detail about this chapter, but all I will say is damn. If I was hesitant about liking Will before, I am 1000% all in on Will now. That scene was absolutely incredible. Honestly, truly one of my favorite like sex scenes that I've read. It was so well done, so much chemistry, um, really loved it. Unfortunately, I read it on a plane surrounded by lots of people, but that's okay. Would have rather been alone. But at the end of the chapter, Fern almost made me want to kill her. Who cares if he said that being at Brookbanks was an escape from reality? Up to a few days ago, she was treating it as that too. Will has a family at home, sure, but let yourself enjoy each other's company and deal with the aftermath later. If you guys truly care about each other, there's always a way to make it work. And I know it will, but the miscommunication trope literally kills me sometimes in romances. Like, she's really going to get mad that he called Brookbanks an escape from reality because it genuinely is for him. I don't understand. Chapter 16, we're back in time. Will goes back to Fern's apartment and they both change out of their wet clothes. Then, of course, in classic romance fashion, the power goes out and they're left in the romantic dark. Then Fern asks to see Will's drawings and decides to let him do a portrait of her. While he draws, they talk about their lives, how Will thinks that Fern loves the resort a lot more than she lets on. He asks her a bit more about Jamie. And while you can tell that Fern does love him, it's not in a romantic way anymore. And she's trying to convince herself that it's right. And honestly, real love shouldn't take convincing like that. She asks Jamie if he's in love with Fred and he says no, that he thought he was, but something made him change his mind. And I'm thinking that something is Fern. And in in Fern's mom's diary entry, we read that she missed her period. So clearly we're going to get we're going to get Fern here soon. Chapter 17, Fern has officially decided to stay on as the owner of Brookbanks, which we definitely all saw coming, but I honestly didn't expect the answer this soon, so I'm curious to see where it goes from here. She ends up telling Jamie first, which I did think was an odd choice, but I did, again, love the scene of them celebrating together. And I love the jealousy it caused in Will, if you know what I mean. (laughs) I love whatever that man becomes in those scenes because, damn, it is is good. Then they have dinner with Whitney and Cam, who are so happy that Fern is staying. But Will gets another phone call. And we learn that these phone calls have a little bit to do with Annabelle wanting to move out on her own. And I'm curious why Will is so upset about that. And not just upset, almost seemingly angry. However, it does open it up for Will to stay at Brookbanks with Fern if they if they do move out. In chapter 18, it was a pretty quick flashback chapter. And it talks about how Will's drawing of Fern made her feel like he could really see her in all of her flaws, which makes sense why she still has it after all this time. Then Will opens up about his mother and how he doesn't want to end up like her leaving and being selfish, selfish, which I think plays so much into why he's careful with caring for Annabelle and Sophia in the the current um, timeline. Maybe them leaving and going off on their own is going to cause sort of like a life shift for Will. And it's like he if he isn't taking care of them, what is his life? 
They have an intimate moment and we learn Will's scars from him getting into a fight after acting out out of anger when his mother left. And then Fern is about to tell him about what happened when she was a teenager, which we're going to get to soon. In Fern's mom's diary entry, we learn that Eric is Fern's father, but he left. She doesn't know how to tell her parents and her and Peter still haven't talked for a whole month. In chapter 19, Fern has had a rough week at the resort. A new hip sort of resort is opening nearby and Brookbank's manager left to manage that place. It's also incredibly hot out and ACs are breaking left and right, causing negative reviews. But all through it, her and Will are getting through it together and playing house as their relationship grows deeper. Then she has a conversation with Peter about choosing a new bread for the resort since Sourdough had been Maggie's. He reveals that him and Maggie were partners on and off throughout their lives and were together when she passed. I absolutely love Peter's character. He's such a gem and this interaction really warmed my heart. And honestly, I would have rather learned a little bit more about Peter and Maggie's relationship together. I feel like that would have been a really good way to like get to know these characters a bit more. I'm curious about Will's past and home life. He isn't sharing that much as Jamie hinted that he feels like there's more to it. And I agree. Could Annabelle have left? Could she struggle with addiction or something like that? Is their mom coming back into their lives? We will see. So that's where I ended. That would have been at the end of that chunk for this episode. And to me, it just didn't feel like enough went on to talk about that for a full episode. Like, obviously, At this point for me, it was picking up more speed. The first half was so, so slow for me, you guys, if I'm being completely honest. I was like, I don't know how I'm going to talk about this for four full episodes. And I still kind of feel that way. Like I could not talk about that chunk for a full episode. Um, But I really, really enjoyed the chemistry that we got finally halfway through the book. Um, It sort of annoys me sometimes when it takes that long to get there, especially when I didn't really feel the connection between Will and Fern, which I'm going to get into a lot more later. Um, But If you have not finished the book, now's a good time to pause this episode, finish the book, and then get back into it with the rest of us, um, because I'm going to talk about the ending of the book here. Are you ready to shop? Rakuten's Big Give Week is back. Get 15% back at hundreds of stores, and it's all happening this week, May 6th to May 13th. It's the perfect time to shop for everything on your list for spring and summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. I know I'm using this week to stock up on some warmer weather essentials at Ray-Ban and Ulta, and I love that Rakuten even helps me save on travel at sites like Hotels.com. Rakuten really is the best way to shop, and you can save even more by stacking cash back on top of deals. Plus, during Big Give Week, that cash back is bigger than ever. With Rakuten, membership is free. And when you sign up and shop today, you get an extra 10% cash back boost. That's an extra 10% cash back on top of the 15% cash back. You won't see higher cash back rates than these. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app. R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. For two now. And guys, I'm going to be honest, the more I talk, the more I'm exerting my energy, the worse I feel. So I'm so sorry if my voice is so annoying, but we're just we're going to try to get through it as best as we can. So chapter 20 to the end. And spoiler, I did not write all of my thoughts for some of the ending chapters because everything was just happening, happening so fast. But here we go. In chapter 20, Fern tells Will about what finally happened in high school. We finally get the revelation. She had always thought Peter was her father because throughout her whole life, he was truly her main father figure. When she read her mom's diary and found out that he wasn't, she got mad and rebelled. She reached out to Eric only to find out that he had a wife and kids and didn't want them knowing about Fern. She felt abandoned, clearly very sad. So she started partying a lot and stole a tractor and caused a fire in the sunroom unintentionally. Her mom saved her life that night by pulling her from the bathroom. And that's why she feels like she owes her life to her and why she feels like she has to run Brookbanks. They made their one year plans. And we know that Wills will end up very different than what he thought he would do with pursuing art. But Fern will stay in Toronto like she wanted. Then they started to fall asleep together, but not before their pinkies touch. And it is such an intimate moment. 
little touch and I just kind of loved it. I'm actually really enjoying how Carly Fortune wrote this day. It all feels very intimate and sweet and full of chemistry, but nothing too crazy. We then learn that Maggie and Peter have made up and she has decided to run the resort, ruining her supposed one-year plan back then. Chapter 21, Jamie continues to make jokes about him and Fern together, and Will definitely doesn't like it, but I think for the most part, he is kidding. Then Will plans a huge surprise dinner for her with Whitney and Cam and makes a delicious risotto, which is truly the key to my heart, so loving Will even more. Everyone is so happy and proud of her for making this decision. Then Whitney starts bombarding Will with questions about what it means that he's leaving in two days and where that will leave him and Fern. But he says that's a private conversation for them to have. What's going to (laughs) happen? In chapter 22, we see Fern and Will's departure from each other 10 years ago. It was Will's idea to meet back up one year from that day at Brookbank's. He asked why Fern didn't tell him about Jamie, and he's clearly sad about it. But even though Fern doesn't say it, it's clear she's planning on breaking up with him before next year so that when they do meet up, they can further their connection and kind of explore each other. What made Will not show up? I'm guessing it has something to do with Annabelle and Sophia. Maybe he was drinking a lot back then or something. Then in Maggie's diary, we see that Peter is stepping up and has a ton of pregnancy pamphlets for her and says she can still take her trip to Europe if she wants. He also says that he will help her and that they can raise this baby together. I love Peter. Chapter 23, Fern decides she's going to tell Will how she feels at the dance tomorrow, and she has a dress picked out from her mom's collection for it. Her and Will spend some more quality time together, and it's just simple and beautiful. Then she reads her mom's final diary entry about going to Europe and how much she already loves her daughter, and it makes Fern cry because she doesn't think she gave her mom enough love in return. Will confesses he told Maggie he knew Fern and that they'd met years ago and that made her happy. But when Fern wakes up in the morning, Will is gone and here we go, about to enter our climax. In chapter 24, when Fern tells her mom she doesn't want to work at Brookbanks, she takes it really hard and it truly splinters their relationship. Throughout the year, Fern is extremely lonely. She tells Jamie she doesn't want to go to Banff. And after pulling more and more away, Jamie breaks up with Fern, knowing they need to take this next chapter of life alone. Whitney has said that Fern didn't confide in her, and she doesn't have a lot of other friends. So she's definitely counting on Will meeting her. And when he doesn't, she's devastated. She had made him a mix CD and was just obviously super pumped to see him after a year. She doesn't get why he didn't show up, obviously, but her and her mom do share a sweet moment on the dock. Okay, here are my notes for chapter 25. I say, okay, at this point, I am saving all of my points for the end because I need to get through this. Will left. She said, I love you. And he broke up with her. Why? Ferd needs to be strong and realize he's pushing her away because he's afraid of what will happen if he lets himself have what he truly wants. Okay, that's where I stopped my notes. So let me just go back through my thoughts of the ending here. So was really pissed at Will for leaving, obviously. I understand that Sophia was sick. Um, obviously, that's terrifying because he treats Sophia like a daughter and he feels like she's like definitely like a daughter to him. But to not even leave a note or anything, like I hate when that happens in books so much. Like that wouldn't happen. Like I can't imagine that happening. Like two 30-year-olds having this like experience together, clearly both so in love with each other. His niece gets sick and he's like, oh my God, it's too much. I've been, I've been, I've been like, you know, dealing with my own feelings way too much. Like I'm focusing too much on myself. I need to go back to my life. That would never happen. He would obviously have woken her up and said, hey, Sophia's really sick. I need to go do this by myself. I'll come back for you. So that really pissed me off. Like this miscommunication trope is so, so frustrating to me. Then when Fern calls him and is like, what's going on? I love you. He breaks up with her. Again, like wouldn't happen. It's so, so unrealistic. And then we have Annabelle coming to talk to Fern later on in the book about why she needs to give Will a second chance. And Annabelle just seems really, really pissy at Fern. And that kind of pissed me off too. But then we end up, you know, getting this big resolution. We learned that Will did go see Fern at the dock that day, but he never went up and talked to her because he just felt like he couldn't be enough for her. His plan had changed so much. He had changed so much and seeing her on the dock just filled him with emotion. And he knew that even if they did have a great moment together, they wouldn't be able to kind of reconnect and be together because he had so much going on at home. And then the ending, I did love, love the ending, you guys, with the proposal. I thought that was so sweet. And I loved the um, the letter that Fern writes to her daughter in her stomach, just like we had kind of 
um, Maggie's diary entries too. I thought that was very, very sweet. But overall, I was pretty disappointed with this book, which I knew was bound to happen on a One Woman Book Club podcast book, but I didn't expect to be this disappointed. And I feel like it was split pretty 50-50. Let me read my final thoughts on Goodreads for you. And then I also screenshotted a few other Goodreads reviews that I'll keep anonymous, but I wanted to read them for you as well. I said, this was somewhere between a 3 and a 3.5 for me, but rounded down to a 3. Overall, I'm pretty disappointed in this one. The first half completely dragged on for me and I couldn't get past the fact that Will and Fern met for one day and they were still this obsessed with each other a decade later. This may be a me problem, but insta-love never works for me. It never does. As we learned more about their story as it went further along, I did see their connection, but it still frustrated me. Fern's miscommunication with Will and vice versa also really frustrated me. I wish they would have just told each other how they felt and communicated like real 30-year-old adults. And I just never really felt connected to the characters or the location. It never really felt like a summer read for me. While plenty of the characters had lots of depth, depth, as did the location, nothing resonated with me. I think a lot of that has to do with Fern and how distant she felt to me as a character. Also, the fact that Jamie was never confronted about his obvious feelings for Fern is just so crazy. And I still love Jamie. I will say I really enjoyed the second half a lot more than I did the first half. I enjoyed Will and Fern's chemistry a lot and loved the spicy scenes. But overall, I would say that you can skip this one. And then I felt like a lot of other reviews as I was scrolling through Goodreads really nailed it. So I'm going to talk about those really fast because I feel like they're a lot more well put than I could even say. And I'm going to keep them anonymous. But this one says, when I saw that Carly Fortune was releasing a new book, I was intrigued by the premise and the fact that it was a second chance romance. I picked it up at my local Walmart, mostly on a whim. Let me just tell you that this book was such a huge disappointment. I'm so sad that I didn't enjoy this. And same. I can see what she was going for as far as like summer vibes go, but they were pretty much non-existent. The plot, the characters, and the romance felt unfinished. I completely agree. The pacing was incredibly slow and draggy. It started to pick up a little bit more halfway. And then she gets into a big one. Fern and Will had no chemistry. I kind of disagree, but I didn't feel a connection of any kind between them. I wasn't attached to them and I wasn't rooting for them in the end. There were moments where I cried out of frustration because Will was such a jerk to Fern and that's putting it nicely. Individually, Fern and Will fell flat and had no distinct personalities. I completely agree. You guys know how I felt about Fern in general. I felt like she was so pretentious, so annoying a lot throughout the book and for the first half did not feel their chemistry. Like, they felt way more like friends to me in those flashback chapters than like real romantic partners. Like I truly just couldn't get behind them as a couple. Um, with Fern, this going back to the review, with Fern struggling to grieve her late mother and her unhappiness with her life made it feel as there was a black cloud over me while I was reading it. It was honestly kind of depressing. And I agree, like this is supposed to be like a fun summer read. And I understand that books need to have more depth than just like, ooh, lighthearted summer romance. But this felt like really dark to me for a lot of reasons. Like Fern was really depressed the whole time. Um, there was no like true connection between Fern and Will, except for their great chemistry and those spicy scenes. And it was just really sad. So let me move on to another review. This one says the characters spent one single day together 10 years ago, and I'm supposed to believe they're soulmates. Honestly, props to her for writing 12 chapters about that one day, though. This could have been 200 pages shorter, and it wouldn't have made a difference. And then oh, this one says, at least she didn't flat out plagiarize another book this time, which I know is a tough subject. Um, also, I hope she knows that she's allowed to write a book without trashy main characters. Justice for Jamie and Peter. Completely agree. Like, I wanted to learn more about Jamie and Fern's relationship. I wanted them to ad address Jamie's clear adoration for Fern, even through the end of the book. Like, he clearly still has feelings for her. Will talked about it, but they never discussed it as a couple, which I thought was crazy. And like I said, I would have actually really loved more flashback chapters between Peter and Maggie and their relationship, because that seems very like 80s dirty dancing. And I feel like we all would have really enjoyed that. So that kind of made me sad that that wasn't brought up as much. This review says there is just no way this girl pined over a guy who didn't show up for 10 years because of one night in the audacity of making her chase after him even at the end of the book. Yeah, will genuinely like you didn't show up and then you're going to leave again. So so frustrating. 
This review says, Will and Fern were lovely characters who I enjoyed reading about. They just aren't characters I'll remember a few months from now. To be honest, I didn't feel that Will had much of a personality in the present day portions beyond being tall, mysterious and good in bed. Couldn't have said it better myself. That's why I'm reading these reviews because I am brain dead today. (laughs) But I completely, completely agree. This review says, overall, I didn't love this. I wasn't really feeling the romance between our main characters. The fact that they pined for each other for nine years after spending one day together baffles me. What baffles me more is that they never just decided to contact the other during that time. Like why if they were so in love? Fortune does do an amazing job at scenery and imagining you were there. I would love to visit Brookbanks Resort and stay. But I just wasn't vibing with the romance. And I'll say it, I actually like the ex in this book better. I so agree. Justice for Jamie. Maybe I'm being too harsh, you guys. Because what I will say is as I was reading this book on the plane, I couldn't put the second half down. The first half just really, really fell flat for me. And that's half of the book. That's 50%. Even if you do enjoy the ending of a book, if you really struggled to get through the first 50%, I really can't give it more than like a three or a 3.5. The ending didn't save it for me. I really did enjoy their proposal. I enjoyed the chapter of Fern writing to her new unborn daughter. But the fact that he left her and made her chase after him just because he felt unworthy, like it didn't add up enough to me. Like there wasn't enough buildup somehow and enough chemistry between them to make me want to root for these characters. Maybe I'm alone. Maybe I'm just just being too, too harsh on this. But that's just how I felt. And my final rating is a three to a 3.5. But mostly, mostly a three, because like that last reviewer said, it is pretty forgettable to me and I just needed more. So now let's get into Carly Fortune's book club guide for Meet Me at the Lake. Okay, so it starts off with her intro. It says, Dear readers, thank you so much for reading Meet Me at the Lake. I hope we were transported to Brookbanks Resort and to the Toronto I so love. Most of all, I hope Fern and Will's story leaves you with a full heart. Parts of this book are deeply personal to me. They're the subject of the Behind This Book essay. I want you to know that I'm going to talk about some tough stuff. If you're not in a place where you want to read about reproductive rights, anxiety, and disturbing intrusive thoughts, then I encourage you to save it for another time. So just putting that out there too. The earliest inklings of Meet Me at the Lake came to me like far too many other ideas do in the middle of the night. It was several weeks following the birth of my second child and I couldn't sleep. Sleeping has never been a skill of mine, but I developed chronic insomnia during my pregnancy and it continued after Finn was born. As I lie awake, I found myself wondering what I was going to do about my next book. Writing my debut novel every summer after in 2020 was a joyful experience and I was brimming with ideas for future stories. But in the spring of 2021, I was empty. I was also in the midst of my second bout of postpartum anxiety. I find writing similar to reading and that I get to travel to wherever my characters exist. That night, I asked myself where I wanted to be. I shut my eyes and I saw it, a classic lakeside resort in Muskoka with a hilltop lodge and cabins overlooking the water. And I saw Fern reluctantly running, running the place following the death of her mother. I thought of Maggie's diary too, how it would recount her own romance, but ultimately show a mother's love for her daughter. I wrote every summer after partially as an escape from life in 2020, but I created Brookbanks Resort to give myself a world to escape to. Smoke Lake does exist, by the way, but it's slightly east of Muskoka and inside Ontario's famous Algonquin Park. There are no resorts on its shores. There are pieces of me scattered throughout Meet Me at the Lake. My parents owned a restaurant and inn when I was growing up. I gave Fern my insomnia as well as my fondness for both the city and the lake. Maggie received my dedication to my career as well as my worries about not being very good at anything outside of work. And to Will Baxter, I bequeathed the quiet, invisible terror of postpartum anxiety, which, yeah, side side note, we didn't talk about that at all. Um, Really, really enjoyed how Carly Fortune gave Will the postpartum depression anxiety that came after Sophia was born. And seeing that in a man was very interesting and something that is not represented at all that surely happens all of the time. So I found that really, really unique and like a breath of fresh air that that was brought up in a novel. So I commend Carly Fortune for doing that. But let's get back into her her essay here. Meet Me at the Lake evolved over the course of the writing process, but from the earliest conversations with my editor, it was always about how life doesn't always turn out the way we expect. But I didn't set out to explore the ways parenthood shapes us. Perhaps that's what happens when you begin writing a book about a mother and daughter a few months after having your second baby. 
During the late stages of editing Meet Me at the Lake, the U.S. Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade, and I began to worry that the two unplanned pregnancies in the book, and the fact that both Maggie and Annabelle chose to become mothers, would be perceived as an endorsement of that ruling. That is not my intention. I firmly believe the choices to continue a pregnancy and to become a parent are exactly that, choices every person with a uterus should be able to make. Reproductive rights, including access to contraceptives and safe abortions, are fundamental to individual well-being and to a society at large. I've always considered myself pro-choice, becoming a parent only strengthened my stance. Love that, Carly. I completely agree. Um, if you guys weren't aware, but yeah, completely agree with Carly there and love that she took that stance in this essay. There was a moment when I was in labor with my first son when my hospital room was suddenly swarmed with doctors and nurses, their faces tense, that I thought I might die. It wasn't my life at risk, it turned out. It was the baby's. Long story short, he needed to get out of my body as quickly as possible and was born via a brutal forceps-assisted delivery. It took 15 minutes of active labor, labor for Max to come into this world and an hour and a half for the doctors to stitch me back together. From that day to the first weeks and months of the baby's life, it felt like I was fighting for survival, my own and the baby's. There were many intense challenges in those early days, and coping with them was made more difficult because my mind had become a very scary place. As a journalist, I've written about some of the struggles I faced as a new parent, but I've never publicly spoken about my postpartum OCD. There's a good chance you've heard of baby blues and postpartum depression, but not about postpartum OCD. I know I hadn't. During both my pregnancies, no medical practitioner mentioned it to me. It's a serious but treatable anxiety disorder with symptoms so hor horrifying, few of us are comfortable talking about them. It's often misdiagnosed and unreported. Despite its name, it can affect not only birth parents, but adoptive parents and anyone in a parenting role, people such as Will. I didn't experience compulsions, but like Will, I was bombarded by recurring intrusive thoughts and images. I made a conscious decision not to describe Will's thoughts. I didn't think he'd be ready to share them with Fern. And to be honest, I was worried you'd judge him. It took me months to tell my husband what was happening in my head, years to tell my mother. The thought of putting it out into the world makes my chest tight. I don't want to burden you with what plagued me, with what made me afraid to be alone with the baby every day, with what made me certain I'd be institutionalized if I told everyone. But the reason I'm writing about it and as vaguely as possible is in case you find yourself in a similar position. If you find yourself terrorized by thoughts of harming your baby, if the same horrible images keep flashing through your mind, if kitchen knives or stairs or subway tracks fill you with terror, you are not alone. The thoughts are just that only thoughts, even though you dread the possibility of losing control, you won't. In fact, I've been told people who experience these kinds of thoughts tend to be highly conscientious. You will be okay, your baby will be too, but you need to tell someone. In fact, telling someone is the first step to being okay. We go through our darkest moments alone, but we emerge from them with help. My postpartum anxiety was different the second time around. I had a few episodes with intrusive thoughts and images, but I was better prepared to acknowledge them, see them as a nuisance, and send them on their way. My anxiety, however, was almost debilitating. I've experienced anxious thoughts before, but nothing compared to the spring of 2021. It was like every problem I could possibly face for my entire life needed solving. Getting out of bed each morning took immense effort. Tearful conversations with my mom about how I sucked as a mom and my husband about how terrified I was about the future helped. Walking helped. Therapy helped. Will and Fern helped. In the epilogue of Meet Me at the Lake, we learn that Fern is pregnant with a baby girl. I don't believe I'm a more fulfilled person because I'm a mom. When someone tells me they don't want children, I get that. Sometimes I envy that. But for this story, I wanted to give Fern the opportunity to forge her own path as a mother, to decide what elements of her relationship with her mom she wanted to preserve and what she would do differently. Perhaps most of all, I wanted to show that Will's anxiety had not stopped them from having children, that mental health struggles don't preclude you from being a wonderful parent. I like to think that when Fern and Will discussed having children, they did what my husband and I did before we had our second child. They talked about the possibility that Will's intrusive thoughts might resurface, and they came up with a plan to ensure that he'd have support. What I admire about both Will and Fern is that they love hard. It's not easy for either of them to open their hearts to risk rejection, judgment, failure, and they stumble along the way. Near the end of the book, Fern gives Will a chance to explain his actions. She decides to reach out her hand. This, I think, is one of the bravest, hardest things to do in early stages of any relationship. It also, it's also what makes them stronger. We all make mistakes. We experience trauma and loss and pain and plain old bad days. We all fly face first onto loose gravel, but with any luck, someone stands beside us reaching out their hand. 
Guys, that was really, really beautiful. And I completely commend Carly Fortune for opening up about her struggles with postpartum OCD and anxiety. Um, That's huge. And I know it affects so many mothers. And I know we talked about this quite a bit in our discussion of All the Dangerous Things by Stacey Willingham. And I am just so proud of all the mothers and women and people in general for opening up about their struggles with mental health um, because it makes it so much less of a stigma and it makes us all realize that we're not alone if we too experience things like that. I hope none of you ever have, but if you ever do, just know that you're not alone. Um, I definitely struggle with my own mental health issues. So um, hearing hearing her write about that and reading that out loud to you guys felt really important. And I'm really glad that she wrote about that and glad that it opened my eyes to how much it kind of was a struggle for her to write about some of those things in this book. And it makes me appreciate it more. So getting a little lighter, I think we're going to get more into um, book discussion here. Um, It says, a few books that I read and loved while writing Meet Me at the Lake. So let's see if we've read them. I have not read 100 Other Girls by Amon Kia. Sounds great. Um, If she loved it, I'm sure I would too. Book Lovers by Emily Henry. Loved it. The Heart Principle by Helen Huang. I've always wanted to read that one. Twice Shy by Sarah Hogel. I've never heard of. Something Wilder by Christina Lauren. It's on my list. X's and O's by Amy Leah on my list. The Road Trip by Beth O'Leary is also on my list. The Dead Romantics by Ashley Poston is as well. The One That Got Away by Charlotte Rickson I have not heard of, but Seven Days in June by Tia Williams I love. Then um, she talks a little bit about the meat and potatoes of Meet Me in the Lake, what it's about, um, but I think we've kind of covered that in in a lot of different ways. Um, But then she says, what three adjectives would you choose to describe this story? And she says, emotional, cinematic, and poignant. Then there's a question. We get through some question and answer here to the end. So I'm going to pick and choose ones that I think are important for us to talk about. The first one is similar to Every Summer After, Meet Me at the Lake is told through dual timelines where we see Fern and Will develop their formative connection over the course of a life-changing 24 hours and when they are reunited 10 years later. What inspired this idea? She responds, in Every Summer After, the main characters meet when they're 13 and we see their relationship grow over the course of many years. In Meet Me at the Lake, I wanted to do the exact opposite, build an intense bond between two strangers and a tiny slice of time. What would make a brief connection meaningful? What would it be like to reunite with that person, especially if they were different than you remembered? Would you trust them? Would you trust your memories of them? One of the greatest challenges was calibrating the emotional response to these complex questions. And I think we talked about this a bit. I just personally didn't feel like that intense bond when they were young and that one day was enough to elicit the intense emotional response between Will and Fern when they met 10 years later if they hadn't chatted at some point in between those 10 years. That's just my own personal opinion. Then it's asked, what is it about dual timelines that is so intriguing to you? She responds, I must be a deeply nostalgic person because I love when characters have a history and when the backstory is part of the actual story. And I definitely agree. There are moments in people from our past that stick with us. They are the ghost stories of our own lives. Ooh, I love that. When we resurrect our characters' ghosts, there's so much opportunity for increasing tension and exploring the emotions that simmer under the surface, especially when the protagonists have shared a past but very different but have different perspectives on it. I'm also interested in how our self-perception relationships evolve over time. We're not the same people in our 30s that we were in our early 20s or at 13, but our current selves are an amalgamation of all the versions that have come before. Dual timelines add depth to my characters, but they also help me amp up the pacing since both narratives raise and answer questions for the reader and you get two stories in one. Completely agree. I don't know about you guys, but I'm a huge fan of the double timeline. Question is asked, a major theme in Mimi at the Lake is grief. Tell us about your decision to explore this in a romance. She responds, there are certain experiences that are almost universal, yet we go through them in relative isolation. New parenthood is one of them, and losing a loved one is another. I find that dichotomy fascinating. On a personal level, my mother lost both her parents within weeks when she was quite young. She was pregnant with me at the time, and I have felt those losses keenly my entire life. Perhaps it's a form of intergenerational trauma, but I've lived in fear of my mom dying since I was little, and I consider myself lucky that both my parents are alive and healthy. A close friend lost her father during the pandemic, and my aunt, who was both a mother and a grandmother, died several years ago. Losses like that are so tremendous that I can't quite wrap my head around them. I think that's why losing a parent is something I grappled with in both Every Summer After and Meet Me at the Lake. 
During their another question here is during their first encounter, Fern and Will each create one year plans, and Fern declares that she won't be working at Brookbanks Resort or living in Muskoka. Why is Fern so reluctant to return home to the resort? She responds, Fern went through a tough phase during high school, a teenage rebellion that left her with emotional scars, including the fact that everyone back home gossiped about her behavior. In the city, she's free of that baggage. In the past, Fern is 22 and living in Toronto and is just starting to recognize that there's more to the city outside of her university bubble. I think this is a very common experience for students who come to Toronto for school. At least it was for me and many people I know. At the same time, she's been following her mom's wishes to get a business degree and return home to work at the resort, but she hasn't given her herself the chance to imagine a future beyond the one that's laid out for her. Will helps her see that she's become a bystander in her own life. That's pretty much what we had all kind of thought about as we were reading as well. Ooh, this is a great question. What was one of the hardest scenes to write? She responds, there were a couple of scenes that take place after Fern and Will meet in the present that were challenging. One was the morning after Will arrives at the resort where he and Fern discuss why he's there and why he didn't meet her nine years ago as they planned. There were many attempts at adjusting Fern's internal and external reactions to Will, as well as Will's response to Fern and the amount of information he shared with her at that point. Will and Fern dance around each other in their past for several chapters and getting the choreography right was crucial. Yeah... I hate I it's hard to like feel like I'm having a conversation with the author in this but I just don't feel like it was done incredibly right with the pacing and I feel like a lot of us kind of agreed with that I'm skipping over quite a few questions here because I feel like we've gone over a lot of the answers and I want to save you guys some time and not just read the 13 page book club kit but I'll read the final two questions here it says do you relate to any of the characters in the book if so who and why and she says quite a few of them I share Fern's love of both Toronto and the lake and like her my parents were in the hospitality business they ran an inn and restaurant where I worked as a teen one of the hard parts was that my mom and dad worked long hours with little to no time off my brother and I were on our own a lot but one of the great things were the guests who came back year after year customers who became good friends. The roses are an amalgamation of several of them. Both Maggie and Will's mom are deeply devoted to their careers and struggle with both their commitment to work and to parenting. That's something I feel in my bones. And like Will, I was totally unprepared for having a newborn at home would throw my life and mind into complete chaos. I also experienced postpartum OCD following the birth of both of my children. It's it's a quiet, terrifying experience and one we don't hear much about. Then um, the final question here is, what do we hope reader? What do you hope readers take away from reading Meet Me at the Lake? First and foremost, I want readers to feel like they've been transported to both the Toronto I love and to the shores of Smoke Lake at Brookbanks Resort. I love spending time with Fern and Will. I missed them when I wasn't writing, and I hope readers feel a similar connection to these characters. Meet Me at the Lake is about how life doesn't turn out the way we expect, and about the people we want with us on that winding journey. I want readers to see how much we gain when we take the risk of opening up our hearts and reaching out our hands. And I want to prove Fern wrong. Relationships are worth the effort. Then at the very end, she includes um, 10 discussion questions, which I think are great. So I do want to go through a few of those with you guys. I know we're getting pretty long here. The first question is, Fern and Will develop a a close bond over just one day. Have you ever felt that kind of strong, fast connection with another person, whether platonic or romantic? If so, what do you attribute it to? So the only thing that comes to the top of my head here is being at summer camp. Um, And I talk about this a lot in like my adult life, where at summer camp, you kind of form close friendships extremely fast. And I think it's because of the um, setting that you're put into living together, going to all your classes in your, you know, fun times together, playing kickball, like doing all these close things together, you're made to form friendships incredibly quickly. And so I feel like that's the only time I've had a really strong and fast connection with someone. And I kind of attribute it to the setting and like where you're at mentally, like knowing you kind of have to make these friends really quickly. Um, And I feel like a lot of it has to do with like our mindset, like Fern and Will, I think connected as much as they did. If even if we don't all of us don't really see it, including myself, because Fern was just wanting to hold on to something that wasn't Brookbanks and find a connection outside of her hometown. I think that's where their connection really came from. How do Fern and Will's life stages play into their friendship when they first met? Do you think they would have been as drawn to each other at another time in their lives? Again, I think I kind of just answered that. I feel like because of both of their mindsets, like getting out of college, they're at this very exciting time in their lives, wanting to start fresh, not really loving their current circumstances. I feel like all of that really played into how into each other they were, if that makes sense. Fern, again, was looking for an escape from her life, did not really want to be with Jamie anymore, didn't want to go back to Brooklyn 
Banks. She sees Will. She falls in love with him. Again, I do feel like they did have a connection, but I don't think they would have had as much of a connection if they had met at a later time in their life. You know, at that point, Fern was with Philippe, even though he sucked. And Will was really into being this um, uncle for Sophia and being a really strong brother for his sister, Annabelle. Um, And because of that, I don't really see their connection lasting long term. We'll see how it goes. It seems like it's going well in the epilogue, but you never know. Skipped a couple here, but the next question I want to read is, what do you make of Fern and Jamie's relationship both in the past and the present? Do you think they would have stayed together if if Fern had never met Will? Answering the second one first, I don't think they would have stayed together if Fern had never met Will. Um, Could definitely see them. You know, long-term relationships are really hard. I've been in one myself. It's really hard to make that last long-term. I think that Fern was definitely pulling away quite a bit and couldn't see herself being with Jamie um, in the long run. definitely was fizzling out for sure. Um, But I really enjoy Jamie. I think he's a really strong um, male figure in her life. He's always going to be someone who supports her. And there's something to say for, you know, relationships that can turn into friendships. Maybe Fern and Jamie were just meant to be closer friends. I would have liked to see a little more resolution, like I said, between Fern and Jamie's relationship. Um, I don't think we really ever saw that come to a full close. Um, I think that he definitely still has some lingering feelings for Fern. So I would have liked to see those kind of like put to bed, but we didn't get to see that, unfortunately. Next question I want to read is Fern carries around a lot of guilt when it comes to her mother. What do you think of Maggie and Fern's relationship? Do you think Fern's decision to stay on at the resort is driven by guilt or something else? I think at first it was definitely driven by guilt. You know, her mom passes away suddenly. There's no one to run the resort. She feels like she has to step in in order to keep the resort running. And she knows that it was her mother's dream for her to run the resort after her. Um, She always wanted her to run the resort. So I think there's a lot of guilt that starts out as. But then I think that guilt almost turns into like self-doubt. Like, As she stays on longer and she's starting to enjoy the process of running the resort more, there's a lot of self-doubt that comes in with, I'll never be able to run this resort as well as my mom ran this resort. Um, So I think that it's driven by that, but then kind of this confidence that then she finds in herself to be like, you know what? No, like my mom took on quite the undertaking by choosing to run the resort when she was pregnant with me. If she could do that, I could do that too. So I think it turned into this confidence where before the self-doubt and guilt was driving her away, but inside she had to find the confidence in herself to realize that she could run the resort. Next question is, do you think Maggie and Peter's love story is a sad or a happy one? I think it's definitely tinged with sadness. But I don't think all romantic relationships and love stories have to follow the typical timeline that we think they do. I think that Maggie and Peter have a really strong at its heart friendship, honestly. And there were crushes here and there. But the fact that they were able to come back to each other time and time again shows that their love for each other is really, really strong. Um, And most people in their lives don't get to have a bond like that. So if you ever have a bond like that with someone, it is happy despite maybe not being together for your whole lives. And of course, it's terrible that Maggie is now no longer with us. But I think that Peter can reflect on his time and just be happy that he had someone like Maggie in his life at all. The last question is, the fact that life doesn't always work out as we plan is a theme of this book. Does your life look the way you pictured it when you were younger? Um, gosh, Yes and no. I had I've been through so many different stages of my life. Like I feel like I've lived so many different lives and I've talked about this a lot. I've never really been a career person and so I don't think my career as it is right now is where I would have thought it would be. I probably thought I was going to be a teacher or a journalist or probably at this point at 28 a mom at one point, but life is crazy and it takes so many twists and turns and I'm really happy with where my life is right now. I have a lot to work on in myself, but I think that I'm happy with my career. I'm really happy in my relationship and there's so much good to come. And I think our perception of our lives and ourselves change so much as we get older and the things that we once wanted really shift and change as well as we grow up and realize what our true selves at our heart want. So I think that my life isn't exactly how I thought it would be when I was 16. But I think that if I could have been in this body at 16, I would have been happy with where I am. And that's the end of our discussion of Meet Me at the Lake by Carly Fortune. I really, really enjoyed this book club kit. And if you guys want to read all of the questions answered by Carly Fortune and really take the time to read some of the questions and reflect on it yourself, just go to Carly Fortune's website. It's um, 
carlyfortune.com. If you click on Meet Me at the Lake, you can download the book club kit. I really encourage all of you to, especially if you enjoyed the book more than I did, because I think you'll find some of those things really insightful. Personally, I really enjoyed reading Carly's essay at the beginning. Um, It made me realize how deeply personal this book was to her and made me enjoy it more. But overall, unfortunately, it was a bit of a miss for me, but I will be picking up the next Carly Fortune book when she writes it because I do think she's an incredibly strong and amazing um, woman. And if you haven't checked it out, head over to my Instagram. Um, We are choosing our June book club picks today um, when this comes out. So just be ready for that. And that is really all that I have for you guys. I will be talking to you very shortly. Be sure to follow on my Instagram at Grace's Reading Nook for when the next episode will be live. And other than that, I will talk to you all very soon. Love you guys. Thanks for listening. Bye. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.